Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. This episode of Law Enforcement Today brought to you by Galls.com, sponsoring episodes of our podcast and radio show, sponsoring our app. And they've been in business for 50 years, 50 years serving first responders and law enforcement community. They're industry leaders. They've got a huge online catalog, everything you could ever want. Galls.com, check them out. Their catalog is spectacular. Everything from like a retired guy like me to active guy like Robert, men, women, they've got everything you could ever need between tactical gear, clothing, footwear, everything. Also be sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Joining us from the Chicago area, uh, we have Police Chief Tom Weitzel from Riverside, Illinois Police Department. Chief Weitzel, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And you know, you are officially now the highest ranking police official I've ever interviewed on Law Enforcement Today, so I feel quite honored to have you here. Well, I'm honored uh, to be here, and that's uh, quite exciting for me also. And, and once again, thank you very much for having me. Being a police chief, I'm sure you are extremely busy, so uh, taking time out to talk with us and our audience is greatly appreciated. I understand you have been in the news lately, or I say in demand by the news media, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why in a little bit. But first, I'd like people to get a feel for your police experience, your background, and currently what you're doing now. Well, I'm currently the police chief here in Riverside, Illinois. It's a suburban community. We're about two miles west of the city of Chicago's border. The population of my town is 9,000. However, we do have a, a large high school and we also have a, a large entertainment center, the Brookfield Zoo, one of the major zoological societies in the United States. A good portion of that zoo is located within the village of Riverside, so we get large uh, visitors to our areas, usually between May and September. So uh, the department can be very busy at times. So just because it's a small agency, we found out small agencies doesn't mean that uh, there's not a lot of police work going on and not a lot of crime either. No, you know, we don't, you know, Riverside probably doesn't see the, the street crime maybe that you would see in inner city communities, but we're not immune from that. And when you're about two miles from a major metropolitan area like the city of Chicago, we certainly get bleed over and, um, you know, small communities like mine can be very taxed with uh, police response because we're limited on manpower. But we try to make up for that by just being involved in more task forces and making sure our officers are well-trained. But we do experience the same thing as Metropolitan Chicago does. It's just not on the same level. Well, thank you for what you do. And, that, and that's one of the things I always say. And Robert Greenberg, uh, CEO of Law Enforcement Today, we both agree that one of the things that we don't do enough uh, as uh, active or retired police is to thank each other for your service. So and I want to thank you for your service and please pass that down to everyone in your department. My thanks from everyone here at Law Enforcement Today for what they do. Well, thank you very much and I will deliver that message. Thank you. So you've been in policing for, is it safe to say, better part of three decades? 
Yes, this is actually my 34th year in law enforcement. I'm 56 years old. So you still have uh, a firm grasp on sanity, even after all those years of being a police? I do. You know, I, I've held about every position I can in my department, from patrolman all the way up through sergeant, detective sergeant, lieutenant, deputy chief, and now chief. So I've been here 34 years, and I've loved every minute of it, but I also have a lot of experience for you know, an agency my size. So, you know, smaller communities like mine, not a lot of, there's not a lot of turnover. When we hire officers, they usually like this type of policing. They come here, they stay, they don't leave. Uh, the only thing I would say that's happened different today than I started 34 years ago is it is a more violent society. And I can tell you without a doubt, maybe 34 years ago when I started in Riverside, you could probably work our midnight shift and bring a pillow in your squad car and not have a single call. Those days are gone, even in suburban communities. And I would venture to say throughout the United States that they're experiencing the same shift that we are here in a small suburban community outside Chicago. There's no such thing anymore of, of uh, the Mayberries. They don't right. exist. We may not have the same level, but it's not like it was years ago. And that's one of the misconceptions that I have to admit I carried around for quite a while, having worked in the Baltimore Police Department, and that you know some of the smaller agencies that surrounded Baltimore, I, I mistakenly thought they had it easy, You know that, that it was not a taxing job. The truth is, the stress level, the intensity level is the same, may not be as, as frequent, but they also didn't have the amount of manpower that we had. So an individual officer would probably encounter just about the same amount of traumatic stressors uh, as someone in my agency. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think in small agencies, uh, they have to wear a lot of hats. So your patrol officers, they have to be evidence technicians. They have to be breathalyzer operators. They they have to carry a lot of specialties that larger agencies can pawn out to other sections. Because, you know, we don't have large, we don't have traffic units. We don't have specialized investigations or crime scene investigators. So the officers have to be highly trained and highly skilled. Uh, You said it all, and that's... I guess this is my apology or me coming clean saying I mistakenly even thought some of the more rural sheriff's departments were the same way that, you know, they didn't do much of anything. Truth is, those men and women, they worked hard and they were in danger as often as I was. And truth be told, for them, backup was a long, long ways away where for me, it was a matter of minutes. For them, it could have been 10, 15, 20 minutes. So those days of the calmness, the Am- Andy Griffith, the new um, Mayberry RFD, those, in your opinion, are long gone across the United States. That's true. And I'll tell you, just in my, from my perspective, being so close to the city of Chicago, what what's the city of Chicago is doing really good is they're pushing crime out. And they're pushing crime in my way. They're pushing it west. And you know when they push crime west? It lands in Riverside. So, so the, the inner, you know, the the police agencies are, are, are Chicago's hitting crime hard. They're, they're coming down on the gangs. They're, they're really out there suppressing it. And they, what's happening with the gang members and the violent crime individuals is they're going out to the suburbs thinking that we're less sophisticated. They're thinking that they can set up their gang operations because we have less manpower, less uh, facilities available to them, which is not accurate because most of the towns 
pool their resources through task forces. But make no doubt, the harder these metropolitan areas hit crime, try to push crime out, crime has to lend somewhere. And uh, what's happening is they're trying, they're opening up uh, drug operations in suburban areas. They're getting housing in suburban areas to house drugs because their misconception is is that the suburban police are not as sophisticated, not well organized, and do not have the intelligence, meaning the data intelligence, to fight crime. And I would tell them they're 100% wrong. And I would praise that my, in my own case, I would praise the city of Chicago. The city of Chicago's job is to reduce their crime and to push, push crime out, but it has to end up somewhere. So suburban agencies like mine really have to step up, have well-trained officers, share intelligence with one another, and participate in task force-type operations. You brought up the crime in Chicago. Uh, we, we all know about the United States that you guys have the Chicago area. Seems to have just epic numbers of violent crime is that an accurate portrayal that that people in other parts of the country take from chicago and chicago area you know in some um perspectives that there is violent crime happening a lot of it it, it was followed in the media every day i mean i don't know of another metropolitan area that i know of where the homicides and the violent crimes are posted every single day it's followed it's broadcast on the media it's put on the major newspapers websites it is really really highlighted now there it's true that it's concentrated in certain areas but a lot of those violent crime, and especially the gun crime that's happening in the metro Chicago area, and it's not just Chicago, it's the metropolitan Chicago area, and even in some downstate communities here in Illinois, is, is there are some of the factors that the police are being blamed for, I would say, just are out of our control, because some of these issues are based on education, or the lack thereof, poverty. I, I would like I would like some somebody to tell me how law enforcement is supposed to solve the poverty issue. And many of these violent criminal acts and, and violent offenders have deep-rooted communities where they've, they're, they're in the community that are suffering, unfortunately, from poverty, have low, don't have the same educational opportunities maybe that others do. And why is that? I don't know. Maybe the, the money's not being funded in there. I'm for that. I mean, we should be funding them. We should be sending money. But I see nightly that no matter what the situation is, somehow the police play a role in the lack of reduction of crime, or in, in this case, street gun crime. And Illinois has one of the strictest states in the United States for gun crimes, and we still have uh, large gun crime and, and arrests. But I, know, I don't hear anybody saying, what's wrong with our court system? Why are the judges not putting them in jail or at least holding them on high bonds or et cetera, et cetera? It's just why aren't the police effectively managing this? And for the first time ever in my 34-year career, it's landing in the suburbs also. Well, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that's that's a discussion we're going to get back into in just a few moments. Uh, we are going to take a break. We're talking with Riverside, Illinois Police Chief Tom Weitzel, and we're going to be talking about violent crime, why it seems to be never-ending, why it seems to be so popular to blame police departments and police officers in general for uh, a lot of society's ills. But first, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today. We'll be right back. 
The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. That's LET18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. This is an urgent health notice for all residents suffering from back, neck, knee, and wrist pain. You may qualify for a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you, but the deadline is fast approaching. Simply call the Health Alert Hotline now. You heard right. You may qualify for a pain-relieving back, neck, knee, or wrist brace. These items may even be covered by Medicare or your private insurance. The Health Alert Hotline is your brace company. These specialized braces have been tested for pain relief. Call us toll-free right now to determine your eligibility and to learn how to use your private insurance or Medicare to minimize your out-of-pocket cost. Don't wait. If the deadline passes, you may lose your opportunity to get a pain-relieving back, neck, knee, or wrist brace at little or no cost to you. 800-419-1964. 800-419-1964. That's 800-419-1964. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley. Joining us from the Chicago, Illinois area, uh, Riverside, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, Police Chief Tom Weissel. Uh, Tom, is what I call you, Tom? Absolutely. I feel so wrong saying that because, you know, when I got called into any ranking officer's office when I was a young patrolman or sergeant, <laughs> always sir and their rank. And uh, so thanks for joining us. You seem to be on target with something that seems to be so so prevalent in the media, which is blaming the police for all of society's ills. Primarily, we're discussing violent crime. I know the media loves to differentiate between gun crime or gun violence and somehow, in some other way, knife violence, other forms of violence doesn't seem to be so bad. And I'm of the, the state of mind that we need to treat all violence as it's horrific and take an early and severe stance when, they, when they're young and they commit their first violent crime of any type. I could not agree more. And in fact, I'm not a uh, believer in the... Uh, so what, what's happened here in Illinois in some communities for the school resource officer and just the whole, this whole concept of school-to-prison pipeline... I think is a, is is something that's being pushed by many as uh, something that law enforcement has created, and that is just completely false. Example in Illinois, school resource officers are really at the discretion of the schools, right? So there is no statute or there is no rule that says that the school officer has to be in uniform. In Illinois, you could be a school resource officer and be in plain clothes, full uniform, suit and tie khaki pants and a short sleeve shirt. So 
The school's allowed to dictate that. You can be armed or concealed. There are school districts where the officers conceal carry their weapons and they're not exposed because of the school administration just doesn't want that type of look or that type of aggressive stance is that that that's the word that they use and i i'm and i'm not i'm not for that i'm for i i think there actually should be a nationwide there should be congress should pass a law and act something that says Every community that has a school resource officer, you are to be uniformed. You are to be a law enforcement officer. You should all have the same training. You, you should you should be tactically astute. Um, I know some districts don't send their officers for the same rapid deployment training that just our average patrolman gets. So you could go to the state of Florida where the recent shooting happened in Parkland, Florida, or you could go to Utah, or you could probably come here to Illinois, and I could almost guarantee you that there's no standard for that position. The position of school resource officer, and I'd be willing That's to bet you're that we correct. We need to address, I, and I, you were on to something there because, well, and, and this is something else that happens popular in the media and social media in particular. People refer to law enforcement as the police, as they're the same in Chicago as they are in Miami or Baltimore or Las Vegas. That they they don't take into account there's different rules and regulations each department. They don't take into account there's different state laws and requirements and training, and you think that at least in the schools, the school resource officers would have a federally mandated minimum level of certified training. Absolutely. And now's the time to push for that. They should have, we should have minimum training for school resource officers. They, they should be uniformed all the same, have the same basic training. Listen, we do that for, in Illinois, we do that for a traffic accident reconstruction officer. So if you want to investigate a fatality in Illinois, you have to go through a standard set of, of training that'll give you the certification to be able to investigate a fatal accident. Now, if we can do that for traffic-related fatalities, why can't we do that for the school resource officer? You're, you're preaching to the choir. I'm, I'm right there with you. And I got pinned down in my doctor's office the other day. Uh, my doctor's a great woman, and, and her nurse are a great, great nurse, and she worked in the prisons or the jails in, in Broward County for a while, and they, they both started peppering me with questions since I'm a retired police, you know, about Parkland and my opinions and everything else. And, and basically what it boiled down to the end of the conversation was that you can look at creating knee-jerk pacifier-type legislation that's not going to solve the problem. And some of the problems you brought up, that's not dealing anything with the, the prevalent amount of violent career criminals walking the streets every day. It doesn't address the mentally ill that you can't do anything with since 1977. And it certainly doesn't do anything about lack of funding or well thought out funding for schools, for education, for employment opportunity. It doesn't address any of that. All, the, all of a sudden, it's going to be the difference between a 10-round magazine and a 15-round magazine. It's going to solve every issue in the world. And it doesn't. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, and the, what's going around in Illinois after this recent uh, school shooting in Florida is taking money away from the school resource officer program and putting it towards mental health. When I just wrote a letter to my local state officials and said, we need to do both. 
don't don't take away funding for school resource officers to put that funding in solely in mental health services. We need both. Both need to be funded, right? right? But the difference between the mental health and having a law enforcement trained officer at the school is that mental health services a lot of times are voluntary. I mean, residents and, and, and citizens have to understand the police can't kidnap you. Okay, so we can't we can't force you into mental health many times. The court system may be able to, but this is still America, right? So the police just can't take your civil rights away from you. We just can't kidnap you and say, we're going to bring you to a local hospital that has a psychiatric ward, and we're going to put you in that psychiatric ward because we feel, as law enforcement, that you're a danger. You know, we have to articulate that. We have to have evidence for that. We have to have doctor sign-offs. We can't just grab a kid or a young adult, which is being proposed in some corners here in Illinois, and mandating that they get mental health. But what we can do as law enforcement officers, if they break the law, we can make an arrest. Yes, and you're exactly right. One of the things that that I hear all the time is, well, everybody knew this guy was mentally unstable. The police were called to his house 30-some-odd times, and nothing was done. And they go, so the police let us down. They dropped the ball. And I turn around and say, that just shows how, how weak the laws are now, that if you get called to someone's house 30 times for the same thing, and it's always concerned about potential violence and mental instability... And you can't do anything. The laws don't support well, you. There's nothing you can do. Right. And many times the statutes do not allow you, especially when family members don't get involved. So when we go to a home and the, the, their own family members won't sign in, for lack of a better word, their children or their young adults into psychiatric care, and they want the police to handle the problem, well, we can't always just take you from your home and take you to a a psychiatric ward and check you in. Those, you know, this is not Russia. We, we, you have to display activity in front of the police officer. It's not good enough to call the police and say, well, he was acting strange 10 minutes ago. And when the police get there, there's no witnessed activity in front of the right. officer that will allow us to institutionalize someone and I don't think Americans would want us to do that. I think that we would you would we would have to have some evidence and some on-site view of something that took place. I don't, you know, do you, do you really want the police to be able to take you out of your school settings, your home, just based on some third-party statement? No, absolutely not. No. And I don't think, I don't think any Americans would, I mean, and I'm law enforcement, and they, I think that most Americans think the police officers are conservative, right? So, I mean, I bet you that's the view, but even we wouldn't want to do that. No. So, they have to, you have to step back a little bit and say, yeah, the police responded 30 times, but we didn't have the tools available, or did we have the laws available to enable to help this young man or woman, woman the way that we wanted to, to get her hospitalized? And certainly, you know, I remember visions of the movie One for the Cuckoo's Nest, where people were, for lack of better words, incarcerated in mental health institutions and in mass that, that had issues. And arguably, we could say there was abuse and things weren't done properly. And then right around the late 70s, that began to change. And then we began to see an explosion of homelessness on the streets and people who are mentally unbalanced that weren't getting cared for, that weren't being fed. And then we have those with uh, violent tendencies. And uh, we're going to take a break here in a moment. But one of the things I always say, people say, well, they're mentally ill when they committed that murder. 
that doesn't make the person they killed any less dead than if they were a sane, hardcore criminal. The, 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 the actions that they did are long-lasting, and we have an obligation to protect society as well. We're talking to Riverside, Illinois Police Chief Tom Weitzel. This is Law Enforcement Today. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Galls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. That's LET18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 3ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.the3ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 3ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. We are back. This is Law Enforcement Today. Joining us on the phone from... Illinois, Riverside, Illinois, Police Chief Tom Weitzel. Chief Weitzel, thanks so much for being here. This conversation, you're bringing up so much stuff that uh, we we talked a bit about Parkland, Florida in particular, but also in, in a more general way about school shootings. I'm sure like all law enforcement people I know, we are sick to our stomachs about what happened. I'm not going to go into judgment about people's actions there. I always try to, to remember that my initial reaction is to, to pass judgment from the comfort of my easy chair for those on scene. Uh, so I, I don't do that. But I'm sick. I'm disgusted at the loss of life in Parkland, Florida. But this has been happening. This happens like in, in Baltimore and Chicago. It happens every day, every year. We have hundreds of teenagers murdered and it seems to be non-stop yes it, it's the the violent crime that's happening and certainly in major metropolitan areas and then in some cases now breaching out into suburban areas is every day and 
you know, as a police chief, what happened in Parkland, Florida, is like our worst nightmare. I mean, it's what you, it's what you stay at home and worry about when before you go to bed at night because these are the high-profile cases. They're they're involving children. It seems in every police shooting that I've followed, that somewhere along the line, it, it wants to land on police failures. And I want to step up and say that those those are not accurate. I don't. I'm not going to judge what went on in Parkland, Florida, right now. I don't do that till I have all the facts. I'm not. I'm not involved in that intimately. I'm very saddened for that loss of life. I'm, uh, it's, it's a shame. I have three sons. All three of my sons are law enforcement officers here in Illinois. Okay, so I, I, they, they have training. I have one of them that wants to be a school resource officer. So I, I have some vested interest in this, and yet when they were reporting the Parkland shooting incidents in for the three days straight here in the Chicago media, I think there was 11 shootings, and six of those shootings were homicides. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it didn't stop. And, you know, there are many that are very, very upset that these school shootings get the notoriety that they do where change can come out of it. But, but the inner city continued daily violence is a 30-second story on the news, and they move on to the sports. And that's my point exactly. All violence needs to be treated as it's an abomination. Uh, and I'm talking from the spousal domestic abuse. I'm talking to the robberies, the, the beatings of, of elderly people for their check. Uh, the, you name it. All of it needs to be treated as it's a, a real threat to our society. And uh, I don't think we as a society, a news media in general, doesn't report what happens in uh, the crime-ridden inner-city areas with the same magnitude as they do this. This gets eyeballs. This gets people's attention going. And so I ask people and I say, listen, what happens in these schools are horrible. I believe the shooters do these things, and I've read reports, they do these things because they know they're going to get a lot of publicity. They'll get their name out there. They'll, like Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, gets his manifesto published. That's why they do these types of targets. But the people who are mowed down in inner city, Chicago, Baltimore, Philly, you name it, it's business as usual. That You're right on with that. I've read... I've read after-action report after report on these major shooting incidents, whether it's school or what happened at the nightclub in Florida or other. And all of those, if you read those after-action reports, either done by some regional law enforcement agency in the area that the shooting took place or the FBI, they say that these shooters either made a statement or posted on social media that they wanted the recognition. Yeah. It's almost... It's almost on every single mass shooting. And ultimately, who do we have to blame for that? I always say it's us as consumers because they know that we will consume more of that product. They'll get more ratings, more advertising dollars, so we bring that in. And we continue to vote for ineffectual politicians who don't make any real meaningful change. And the process just goes on and on and on. And, and you know... Yeah, you're absolutely, you know, and I don't even like, and, and, and you know, maybe some are going to find fault with me with this statement, but I don't even like police officials, my own counterparts. I don't like them grandstanding. I, I don't think that uh, on these mass shootings or these uh, large-scale violent events that you should make your career no. or you should try to make yourself 
feather your nest for another job? Because I've seen too many law enforcement officials, high-ranking law enforcement officials, be very uh, media savvy when these incidents take place, and then they end up being consultants for for XYZ news station, or they go on to other uh, other uh, careers after the retirement based on what happened on this uh, very noteworthy violent act. I'm not, you know what, you, you're, when you're in office, your job is to serve your community, your job is to serve the public, your job is not to feather your nest for your next position, or your job is not to grandstand in front of the media to make yourself look good. Put up, get facts out there. Wait till you have the facts. Work, work in cooperation with whoever the shooting is, whether it's a school or a street shooting. But I've seen too many times, too, too many times, police officials want to make a career out of those two. And to me, that's disgusting. It is. And we, we had a few police commissions like that. One in particular, we called him TV Tom. Uh, he came on after I retired. <laughs> Just uh, not not well thought of. You know, and I'm going to go back to a point because you mentioned earlier, uh, correct me if I'm mistaken, that you worked your way up from the ranks of a patrolman up to chief police of the same agency. That's correct. I, I, I was appointed police chief in 2008, but I started as a midnight patrolman at 23. Okay. Well, and I want to say thank you for that because one of the things that bothers me routinely is I'll see, in Baltimore's case, they, they just uh, got uh, Daryl D'Souza appointed and passed the city commission for a vote for police commissioner. He spent his entire career in the Baltimore Police Department. He knows the streets. He knows the people. He knows the officers. He knows the system. And before that, we had consecutively, time after time after time, leaders that were brought in from other agencies. And here's what happens. I know I'm old school, and maybe you'll you'll agree with me. Maybe you won't. When I see a guy or a woman, a brother or sister, law enforcement officer that worked in another agency wearing my uniform, my agency's uniform that never served a day in that street in that uniform, it makes me nauseous. Yeah, I would, I would say that my view on that is if you have qualified individuals in your agency, you should always look in first. If you don't have qualified people, by all means, find leadership that's going to lead your agency. But you, as as a as a village, a city, a government, who's ever making the selection of police chiefs, top executives, if the talent and the experience is there, you should go with it. I mean, you nurtured that for 20 or 30 years, right? You spent money on that officer developing him, sending him to school, sending him to college, sending them to command colleges, right? You have a lot invested. Always go with your own people first. If it doesn't work out, then so be it. But, I mean, you know, a lot of towns and a lot of municipalities put a lot of money into police officer training why not look inward first absolutely and, and if you are hired to be a police chief uh, a police commissioner from another agency all i'll say is you know that's not a knock against you just wear a suit we are talking to police chief thomas weitzel from the riverside illinois police department you're listening to law enforcement today we're in a short break we'll be right back 
nobody wants to get ripped off, broken into, or robbed, but nobody wants to pay a lot of money to have their home protected either. I've got an offer to tell you about to provide home security for your home for a simple rate as low as $19.99 a month. For real, with no installation or equipment charges. And this is from a company rated number one by a leading consumer research company. According to the facts, most of you won't even call unless there's a burglary in your neighborhood or something bad happens. So let's give you a reason. Save money. For as low as $19.99 a month with no other costs, you can get your home secured. Plus, get a lifetime equipment replacement warranty. You need protection for your home. Call the Home Security Hotline right now. 800-361-3491 That's 800-361-3491 The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. That's LET18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. Keyboard Cat, Hamilton the Pug, and Toast Meets World. These are some of the Internet's most beloved pets. And they all have one thing in common. Their stories started in a shelter. Start your story. Adopt a dog or cat today. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Training that pet to play the keyboard, that's optional. Start a story. Adopt a shelter or rescue pet today. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Galls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. We are back in the studios of law enforcement today on the phone from Riverside, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, Illinois, very, very close to Chicago. About how far? About two miles west of the city of Chicago. This is Police Chief Thomas Weitzel. Uh, thanks for being here. And this has been a really spirited conversation. And one of the things that I hear routinely, that we in law enforcement today hear routinely from people all over the United States, is there seems to be almost an epidemic of and I don't like using that term because of the the medical illness definition of epidemic, but there seems to be a dramatic rise in crimes like carjackings, armed robberies, shootings. Of course, we have drug-related uh, deaths caused by violence. We also have a tremendous problem with drug-related deaths by overdose or alcohol abuse. And uh, it seems to be that someone who's still in law enforcement or just say, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, what do you tell your officers? How do you keep their morale up? Say, listen, you're doing a good thing. You're fighting the good fight. How do you address that? Well, first of all, you have to tell them that. You know, you have to, you have to speak to your people. You, you actually, you have to tell them and praise them when praise is warranted 
and you have to do it by speaking to them, going to roll call. Sending an email isn't going to do it. Okay, so you have to you have to you have to have a one on one with your people for sure. You have to make sure they're well trained. You have to give them the equipment to do the job. I mean, our jobs as chiefs a lot of times is to convince our board or our people that hold the purse strings as to why we need. Uh, squad cars, why we need, you know, equipment. That's their office, right? I sit in my office here at the police station. My patrol officers are out in their squad cars eight hours a day, sometimes 12 hours a day, every day. That's their their office. So you have to, you have to let your elected officials know why you need equipment, why it, it's good to keep updating, get the latest type of equipment. And you have to do really good recruiting of officers. But but you have to be out there with them. Uh, it's maybe a little easier in a smaller agency, but you need to make sure that the officers know that uh, you're not uh, sitting in the office eight hours a day and just looking at the budget. So you have to, you have to interact. In my case, I respond to calls when I'm out there. I have an agency that I can do that in. You know, I, I, I'm there with them, and uh, I, I deliver that message. And I routinely go to roll call. So... In my facility, I can walk down the hallway here and be in the roll call room. So I mean, they, I think that's a really important tool for any chief executive to to be there. And that doesn't mean you have to be buddy buddy. Okay, there's, you know, when discipline arises, you have to handle that. But remember, I came up through my own agency. So for the first 15 years of my career, I was a union member. And then when I was promoted beyond the rank of lieutenant, I wasn't a union. So I know both sides. So I, I can see from both sides. I mean, that's probably why I um, I have a good working relationship with my union. I, I, I was the union vice president at one time. So there's a, there has to be a middle ground, right? So, I mean, that's the way I approach those types of uh, uh, issues. It's not Tom Weitzel's way or the highway. If any police executive is still doing that, I would think that you're not going to be successful. The, the, the kids coming into today's job, you can't tell them it's my way or the highway. It, while it's still a military or paramilitary organization, we have to include our people in decision-making. That was not a concept that was spoken of back when I was a rookie patrolman. That that just uh, did not happen in the early 80s and into the 90s. It, things began to change a little bit. I remember fighting with other officers to get things like critical incident stress debriefing teams. They were unheard of, uh, at least in our agency, before maybe 87, somewhere around then. Then that term started coming up. We had to fight for what so many of the young officers have nowadays that they seem to take for granted. It just wasn't even an, wasn't even an option. Do they appreciate those sacrifices from the old-timers, do you think? I think they do. I actually think that um, a lot of the groundwork that was laid from the quote-unquote old-timers are benefiting the, the the officers that are coming on the job today, which some will call them millennials. Um, they're almost always uh, well-educated now. And if you don't include them in this process and you don't train them and give them opportunities, in Illinois, you can you can shop around. So the pensions are portable. So, I mean, there's great competition for officers. So you have to be able to attract personnel and then keep them. Or believe me, they'll leave. Now, me, I've been in the same job 34 years. I just read a, a local article in the paper here that the average college graduate now changes jobs seven times in his career. So to me, that's a foreign concept, right? I, I came right out of college and I went right into law enforcement. And that's where I've been since 23. And uh, any talk of retiring? No. 
No, that not, not yet. As long, as long as they still have me, I'll stay. Yeah. <laughs> How about at home? Are they ready for you to retire? Yeah, I'm sure my wife would probably like that. But, um, you know, my wife works, and my three sons are in law enforcement here in Illinois, so I get a chance. I mean, how cool is that, that I'm a, uh, a suburban police chief, and I have three boys, um, all 28 and younger, and all of them are in current law enforcement. So when we get together and they come back home for dinner, my wife sits at the table and listens to four people talk about police work all day. She has to suffer through that, right? She probably says, Calgon, take me away. I've had enough of this conversation. <laughs> right. One of the things that I can't help but think about when we're talking is uh, a concept I see all the time now. People talk about community policing. And I go back to what that's back in the day when I was a post officer. This was my post. My sergeant said, you need to know all the bad guys. You need to know where they live. You need to know the good folks. We tried out the back doors of businesses on midnight shift. And now I'm seeing reports all the time like we need to get back to or a new concept of community policing. And I'm like, what are they talking about? I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I tell people that say, you know, you're going to do community policing. I, I said I was doing community policing. It just didn't have that name. Right. So when I was on the when I was a rookie, two years on the job, I was doing community policing back then. We just didn't call it that. We got out of our squad cars. We walked around. We did community events. We we handled problems. We we did everything that is in these community policing programs now it's just somebody gave it a term one day and then all of a sudden it became well you know all police should be doing community policing well they were doing community policing it just didn't have this fancy name in your day in my day when we were on patrol it was just our job it's what was expected when we came on the job and our field training officer trained us this is what expected of you so here's here's the criteria you have to meet and part of that was the community policing it's just they didn't have a term for it right Right, and that's the way it was broken down to us. And, for example, the post I worked as patrolman, you had three people, because we changed shifts every eight hours, you had three people who worked that post routinely. It was the same three officers. When they're off, there was a consistent fill-in. So, at most, there was like six, maybe seven police officers worked that area every day, 24 hours a day, 365. And people knew you by your name. They knew you by your first name. They knew you by your last name. And they didn't mind talking to you. And so it kind of blows my mind when I hear we need to have community policing because that's that's the concept of policing I've always had. I don't know anything other than that. No. And, you know, community policing, for the word they want to use, is a two-way street. As much as law enforcement and our officers have to be out there knowing their territory, engaging, doing more than driving around in the police car all day long, getting out, the community also has to step up because we can't operate, right, without the community. So if they're not going to help us by alerting us to crimes or testifying or pointing out an offender to us, that's the responsibility, too. This is a two-way street, this community it policing. Is. It is absolutely, and that's that's one of the things we never, never hear discussed, the, the changes in society. And, you know, we're running out of time. We could talk, I'm sure, for another hour about the changes in society, why we become so violent, why that's the violence that is commonplace nowadays was considered extraordinary, a freak, uh, extremely abnormal back in the 80s and 90s, but now it is commonplace. Chief Thomas Weitzel, Riverside, Illinois Police Department. Thank you so very much for being a guest on the show, and we're definitely going to have you back on another time. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
one of the questions I get all the time, especially when we're talking to other radio stations about adding a Law Enforcement Today radio show to their lineup, what is your show all about? And it's not what most people would think. It's not confrontational. You know how Investigation Discovery Channel has all these shows about investigations and people have a curiosity about police. Well, we feature police officers, law enforcement officers, active, retired, spouses, family members, and supporters talking about their experiences from their point of view. If you want to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a great guest but you know doesn't want to say, uh, I don't want to seek attention myself, we'd love to hear from them. And we'd accommodate them from anywhere. It doesn't matter where they are. We're in Florida. They, don't, they could be anywhere. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Oregon, doesn't matter. We can uh, record them here at our studios in South Florida. Yeah. So just contact us. The easiest way is go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, the contact us tab. Send an email to me, j at lawenforcementtoday.com or robert at lawenforcementtoday.com. You can also send a message via Facebook. We're all over this thing called the World Wide Web, Instagram and all that stuff too. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. On behalf of everyone associated with law enforcement today, I'm John J. Wiley. Till next time, see ya. Ooh.